The Pace Line is supported by LAL Cycling. The Coast is Calling. LAL Shore Collection embodies the spirit and style of the California Coast. All LAL products are crafted right here in Southern California for shipment worldwide. And the Pace Line is brought to you by Health IQ. You ride your bike, you stay in shape, you deserve lower life insurance rates. Head over to their website, healthiq.com forward slash paceline, and find out how much your riding can save you on premiums. Now on to the show. Oh, Patrick, you're not in Kansas anymore. I was eating as much as possible, drinking as much as possible. There were times that were, it just, it wasn't really possible. And so everybody I know had some dark point about two thirds of the way into their ride, whether they were doing the 100 or the 200. We get the lowdown on doing the Dirty Kansas. And we hear from a bike shop owner whose business model includes closing shop and checking out life. Bike shop owners, we don't make any money. You know, this is across the board, except a couple of these creepy corporate places. But most of us are about this because we love it. And I and I do too. So I'm not, I'm clearly not driven by money. So uh, why wouldn't I close on Wednesday to go enjoy life? Paceline, the podcast on two wheels. Hello, Paceliners. How are you doing? Michael Houghton here, along with Patrick Brady. Again, we are two instead of three. Missing Fatty off uh, in the trenches, I think. And he's digging a deep one right now because uh, this is two shows in a row. And now we're starting to get just a little concerned. So, Fatty, uh, hoping for your uh, quick return. But nonetheless, we have a big and full show for you because uh, Patrick is back from he's clicked his heels together and not returned to Kansas but returned from Kansas and uh, we're going to get into all that in fact right away uh, Patrick uh, you've got the post going up right now Uh, yeah uh, quite a ride a lot of dirt I've seen some very dirty legs on you my friend Uh, (laughs) dirty Kansas I mean we talked about in show 70 folks so this is a natural transition we had the pre and now this is the post show just like in any uh, big sports uh, broadcast and we're going to do our post dirty Kansas I want to thank my mother (laughs) that's right I want to thank Specialized Tires and Allied (laughs) Cycle Works and I I'm sorry God you forgot God (laughs) yeah yeah. you gotta you gotta Um, get them all in there right 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 yeah Uh, really enjoying the post and the pictures but uh how do you feel? How how did it go? What was the ride like? The conditions? What, what was it all like? Well, it's so funny to have done the half pint. You know, I did half of what you know my buddy Yuri Hoswald, uh, what you know winner winner Allison Tetrick did, uh, Matt Stevens, the men's winner. I you know I did half of what they did, and I was wrecked. Mm-hmm. I was absolutely wrecked. This was one of the harder centuries of my life. It was more than 4,000 feet of climbing. I think uh, 4,700, almost five there. You know, just uh, a fair amount of climbing, not, you know, not like a Southern California mountainous one, but, you know, an awful lot of climbing given all those hills. And, you know, yeah, you never got 
elevation, you know, of more than about five or 600 meters at a time. I don't think there was a single hill I did, except for maybe the odd false flat that was even a full kilometer long. <laughs> but, you know, all, all except about two miles, that is the opening mile and the closing mile, all the rest was on gravel. When you went into the one sag stop where you had to pre-pack uh, what you were going to be uh, grabbing there, uh, this was not rolling up and grabbing Oreos and some country time lemonade and whatever else. If you wanted something there at the roughly 50 mile mark, you had to pack it up uh, in something and either have a crew there waiting for you or pay for the neutral support that would tote your bag out there. And there was a piece of tape with your number on it and you'd, you'd grab it there. But rolling into that, there was a uh, brick pave. And so, you know, even that wasn't standard pavement. Got in there, did that really quick and was just back on gravel. And the amazing thing is these roads are all essentially one lane wide, you know, big enough for a single vehicle. And it's double track through there. And if you veer off of where those tire tracks are laid down, very often it got soft and slow in a hurry. Hmm. And so you'd find yourself going, no, I think I'll just stay right on that tire track. Why is that? Is that because those fields are being watered or what's going on right off the gravel road? I, I think it's just the fact that vehicles have been packing it down and making it firmer. Okay. And if vehicles haven't driven there, it's much, much softer. It's like, I think Belgium is a lot that way, is it not? I mean, if you're on the on the dirt roads or on the road proper roads, you're fine. But as soon as you veer off in Belgium, you're in a marsh practically. It's The soil gets so wet. Yeah, I mean, I've certainly heard some of that. Uh, I haven't had a chance to experience it, you know, in person. Mm-hmm. You know, but this isn't like going from pavement to pave and back to pavement with just lots and lots of pave and set. It's just all gravel road. What was really interesting was anytime there was a turn that wasn't a bend in the road, but was either a T intersection or a four corners, you really had to be careful because in the turns, all the gravel was really loose there. And so anybody who tried leaning their bike and apexing that turn hard ended up on an elbow and i heard about plenty of stories of split elbows out ooh, there ooh. and you know bits of bits of gravel in hips and that sort of thing i had to i made sure that you know all those points where you could kind of foresee yourself going down if you screwed up i took it really easy there any of the water crossings any of those turns <clears throat> i'd be on the brakes slowing down, just making sure that I could roll through it nice and easy. Um, I didn't need to hot dog any of that stuff. And as a result, I didn't have any problems at all. But I could see where certainly there were opportunities to screw up. Mm-hmm. It's I, I understand that. Yeah, sorry, I, I understand the pedaling is almost constant. Like you have to keep <laughs> pedaling or you're coming to a stop. Oh, my gosh. You know, well, to be fair, you know, you come over the top of some of those hills I got going 35 miles an hour coming down the side of a couple. Oh, of that's cool. Um, and, you know, but the thing is, you're doing it, you know, on a track, the width of a tire and trying to make sure that you don't run off of that. Because once you run off in the soft stuff, things could get very gnarly. So, you know, it was important to maintain your composure. Uh, I saw a lot of people, you know, breaking pretty firmly on the descents and, you know, 
you you sometimes had to work your way around that but it was a lot of fun but oh my gosh yeah you're you are on the power full time and you know having to be careful about how you dose that you know not go too deep i was eating as much as possible drinking as much as possible there were times that where it just it wasn't really possible and so everybody i know had some dark point about two thirds of the way into their ride, whether they were doing the hundred or the 200, you know, somewhere around two thirds of the way in, everybody found themselves, you know, going less than they wanted to. So for me, from about mile 70 to mile 85, I was, I was not doing great. And then I managed to, you know, slow down a little, get a little more into my system, back off from the stomach cramps. Um, and then, you know, those those last like 12 miles all went really well for me. Mm, good. So you're saying that the, the course itself, because what I envision, and I think what a lot of people envision when they hear Kansas gravel adventure ride like that, is a wide gravel road. But are you saying that a lot of it is like almost like side-by-side single track where tractors yeah. or farm equipment have rolled down and they've left just tracks and you got to pick a track on one side or the other of, of a grassy... A median? There were a couple places where it was, you know, close to two lanes wide. But by and large, these were just one lane roads. They had been graded. So it's dirt all the way across. It's not like you're just plowing through some farm field. It's, you know, there's no doubt in your mind that it's a road, but it's not paved and it's not wide. Mm -hmm. And you have one choice, the left or the right. And if you need to pass a group, you need to time that right and wait until you see less loose gravel. And, you know, it's pretty easy to discern that. But there there needs to be uh, a, a decrease in the amount of loose gravel when you decide to make your move. And when you do it, you need to get on the gas and do it quickly. Uh, you know, the longer you stay out there on the loose stuff, the more energy you're going to expend. Mm-hmm. And so it was uh, it was crucial to to really be careful about those things if you were going to pass a whole group. Mm-hmm. So from a from a fitness uh, anaerobic aerobic standpoint, did you find yourself, you know, going above threshold, below threshold a lot? Was that the type of demands that were required or was it more steady state? For me, it was coming up to threshold and trying to make sure that I wasn't going over. Okay, yeah. Cuz I was convinced that I was going to need power later on. And I didn't want to see that fall off that would typically happen. And also, I just I knew it was going to be difficult to eat, not like Lake Sonoma difficult to eat. But I knew I knew it was going to be a challenge to get calories in, you know, because of the bouncing around and because of the lack of smoothness. Yeah. And also, you know, there are just times where, you know, because of what's going on, you want to be really careful to make sure you stay in that track and not rolling off to the side. Mm -hmm. So it, you know, I've certainly been at stuff where it was harder to eat, but it's not like being at a road event where you can pretty much pick any opportunity to pull something out of your pocket. Right. This was not the same. So let's get into the equipment. I mean, half of Kansas seems like is making the proper equipment choices, making, uh, making your bike just strong enough uh, but light enough to, to, to be able to cover ground quickly. Now you were on a, was that a prototype bike or a brand new bike from our friends at Allied? How did, how did all of that work out? 
This is proper production. It's one of the very first uh, production bikes of the Alpha All Road. And uh, I know Aaron Gully at Outside has one. I'm not sure who else might have one, but they managed to get that thing uh, ready and they delivered it to me in the parking lot of my hotel in Emporia on Thursday morning. And by the time I had, you know, all the various stuff put together and saddle height set and bar position set, uh, a group with Yuri Hoswald and some other folks uh, was rolling by the bike shop I was at. Fortunately, I was already dressed. And so I just slotted into the back of the group. And when we got stopped by a train, I was able to say hi to everybody. Mm-hmm. But it's, uh, I haven't had a chance to weigh it yet. I'm thinking 16-ish pounds. Oh, light. It's light. And this it features the new 90, uh, 9150, uh, mostly uh, Shimano Dura-Ace Hydro, um, DI2 group. So I don't have the proper levers yet. They still don't have those. Uh, so I'm on the old levers, but everything else is, you know, up to date with the new group and boy, this stuff operated absolutely flawlessly. The only issue I had was when I rolled into, uh, the midway point, I actually had to spray the Che down with lube because I had ridden through so much dust that it was that noisy. Mm-hmm. My chain had gotten crunchy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not not surprised. I mean, Shimano is just, they are they are so good about, even first run product usually comes out just ready to roll right away. So I guess in one sense, I'm just not surprised that, that you had an excellent time with them. But the Ally, the, the Alpha All-Road, is a bit more of a mystery. It's a new bike company, and this is a new idea for them. How did, how did that machine go? Was it everything that, that you'd hoped? You know, I wasn't entirely sure what to expect from the bike. I, I've yet to be on a carbon fiber uh, gravel bike or adventure bike that felt, shall we say, you know, parallel to what we've come to expect from lightweight road bikes. Mm-hmm. They've just all been different to some degree. And this was like a top end road frame with just bigger tires on it. Mm-hmm. It had that snap. It had that lively feeling that you get once a frame is down under the 900 gram mark. You know, something that you just, you simply don't find it. If a frame weighs more than a kilogram, it just has a different feel because it's got so much more material in it. And there's a snap and a liveliness and a communicativeness, if we can call that a word, that comes through in those lighter weight frames. And this had all of that. Mm -hmm. I just, I couldn't believe how responsive the frame was and yet how comfortable it was. I'm really pretty blown away. I can't wait to get it out to Willow Creek and do that descent on it. So obviously you were able to accelerate when you needed to because of its DNA. You were able to dodge rocks probably and and larger obstacles at will or other riders because of its snap and its ability to to move around. But I get the bigger question with a light bike, always you think, okay, light, uh, rigidity, is is it gonna calm out all those flint rocks all that buzz I'm going to get. And how did you feel like you could have ridden that thing for 150 miles or the full 200? Did it offer enough relief there? You know, there are some things I'll say right now, you know, I'll just cut to the chase and say that I do want to go back and do the full 200. 
and I'm amazed to be saying that, but watching other people and, you know, seeing what that event was like at the finish. Yeah. I want to go back and I want to do the full 200 and I would not be afraid to take this bike and ride it there. Mm-hmm. Could I do other things to, uh, aid my comfort? Yeah, probably so. As it was, I ran 35 PSI in the front tire and 38 in the rear, which was just a bit less than some other people had recommended. But I thought, my gosh, I've got incredibly strong rims. These were the Stans Avion wheels. Mm -hmm. I was running the 38 millimeter Specialized Trigger, which has won the last five editions of Dirty Kanza. Um, I didn't even know that when I selected them. Mm -hmm. You know, I just, I knew it was a tire I could trust. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I... Uh, I think I did everything pretty well. My The heels of my hands are still a little bit tender. They were utterly hamburger at the end of the day. And yeah, I was I was pretty beat up. Uh, my nether regions were sore for two days after the ride. Um, it was not easy. And I really feel for anybody, you know, not, not the guys like the winner, Matt Stevens, or, you know, the women's winner, Allison Tetrick. I, you know, yeah, they had a long, hard day. The people I really feel for are the guys who are 180, 200, 220 pounds who did the 200 and didn't roll in until 10, 30, 11, 12, 3 o'clock in the morning. You know, those people who are out there that much longer, they're the ones, you know, those are the people I actually check with about, you know, what did you do for comfort? I bet there were some people out there with double chamois on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you said, Matt Stevens was the men's winner uh, 10 hours, 49 minutes, eight seconds. And then Allison Tetrick, uh, the women's winner and new record holder, 11 hours, 41 minutes, uh, taking Rebecca Rush's record by a bunch too, who set a, a time of 12, 11 in 2014. So congrats to both of them. And, and you were there. I, did you get to the finish, uh, before the 200 winners came across? Oh, hell yes. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> I was hoping so. So tell us about the finish and the whole the whole scene there. So uh, my finishing time was six hours and 39 minutes, okay. which really impressed me because I was thinking this could be an eight-hour day. I didn't really know how quick to expect the bike to roll, me and the bike to roll over all that gravel. And so I set my sights not deliberately low, but modestly, I'll say. And... You finally get off the last bit of gravel and you go through this tunnel and suddenly, oh my gosh, you're on the campus of Emporia State. And there's one more hill in campus. And this one guy who I'd gone back and forth with us passing each other comes tearing by me. And it's like, whoa, dude's back again. And I thought, well, you know, we can't just let this go. And so... I gradually clawed him back, and just as we made this turn between some bollards to get on a sidewalk to tear through the university, I let out just a huge sprint, all that I had, only to realize I still don't know where the finish is. What the hell am I doing? And then suddenly I noticed, oh my gosh, there's a red light up ahead. Okay, this was a really stupid waste of effort. And as I get close, I've only backed off a little bit to try to recover. I notice that there's a cop there waving everybody through. So I go flying through there, uh, sit down, and just gut out all the watts that I can. And suddenly I hear that shum, 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 shum behind me. 
And this dude comes by me again. And at this point, we're into the cones and the fencing. And there's not a lot of room to try to get by somebody. It's maybe eight feet across. And I thought, you know, I just, I don't need to screw anybody up. Not him, not me. He's got it. Even though there's room and I may have the the energy to actually get back by him, I, I'm not going to try to do anything here. And, you know, we get through the finish and son of a gun, Jim Cummins, the organizer, is right there and reaches out his hand as finally we get to meet. And I've never been to an event in my life where the promoter is there to greet everyone as they come across the line. And so everybody who finishes Dirty Kanza is greeted by uh, Jim or Leland Danes, uh, who's director of operations, or one of the other two or three people who are part of that inner sanctum that organizes the event. You get personally greeted. They hand you your glass. They hand you your stickers, you know, if you did the 200. Um, and, you know, a lot of people got hugs. It's it's a really pretty emotional space that they have created there when people come into the finish. And so, you know, I hung out for a little while and then one of the other people staying at the goo house, uh, along with me. And, uh, thanks to my invitation extended by Yuri Hoswald. So we, uh, Daniel and I went back to the house, got showered and then drove back, uh, to near the finish and walked over. And so we were able to see, you know, Matt Stevens come across the line and, you know, all the men finishers and then saw the sprint between Ali Tetrick and Amanda Nauman. And what I didn't know until later that Allison told me was she had actually taken a wrong turn right before the finish. I think I know where it was. I think she didn't turn through the bollards initially, went straight, completely screwed up, realized it had to turn around, go catch Amanda and her sprint was a sprint to catch Amanda. And then she just stayed on the power, passed her. And that's how she won. Mm -hmm. She passed Amanda in the last 50 meters. Yeah, Allison is actually a committed roadie. And this was her first off-road race she'd yeah. ever done. Great yeah. road rider, um, but really had never touched uh, a mountain bike or a gravel bike before entering Dirty Kansas. So... Again, a, an amazing ride to break the record, to make a wrong turn, and to catch Amanda Nauman, who's, I mean, she's nails. She's, she knows her way around uh, Emporia, Kansas. Um, pretty amazing <sighs> stuff. Um, so now, uh, you've got Kansas. You're talking about maybe going back. Uh, you're starting to reflect a little bit. Are th is there anything you would do different? Something you said, yeah, I, I got this wrong, or I would do this nutrition different, or I'd try a different tie. Anything that you're saying already, I would do this different if I go back to Dirty Kansas. Well, if I show up to do the 200, it will be after having had a really great early season of training. I'd be, gosh, you know, at, at least five pounds lighter, but, you know, hopefully closer to 10 pounds lighter. I'm not sure how realistic that is being a parent, but that's certainly what I would uh, hope for or shoot for. I, you know, I would want to have uh, rehearsed my feeding more so that I'm more comfortable doing it on the fly like that. Uh, other than that, no, I mean, there's an awful lot that I got right. Hmm. And there's an awful lot about that event that you really can't prepare for. We had 
a perfect bluebird day. Bluebird days wish they were this nice. Mm. It was so beautiful out there. You know, temperatures in the 70s, I think maybe got into the low 80s at some point. Um, and so from that standpoint, you know, we were very fortunate. But the greater reality of Dirty Kansas is that's one of the two nicest days they've had in the 12 years of that event. And so if I plan to go back, I need to be prepared that I'm unlikely to see a day like that again. Yeah. <laughs> Statistically, I'm much more likely to get incredible heat or crazy amounts of mud. You know, I'm not likely to see a day that pretty again. Mm -hmm. And so I need to be prepared for that. Mm -hmm. Well, we see some posts going up on Red Kite Prayer already. I imagine you're you're continuing to think and digest this event. So we'll look forward to more pictures and posts on Red Kite Prayer about DK200 and all your experiences there. So thanks for that. Uh, coming up, we're going to meet a bike shop owner who has learned to roll with the punches. And he was a recent Pace Line pick. That is next on, of course, the Pace Line. All right, we got riders coming in. Let's cheer them in. From Fort Rucker, Alabama, it's James Lamb. From Seneca, Kansas, Jason Corby. We've been talking about Health IQ and how they are helping people to source better rates on life insurance. Recently, they updated their site with new insurers and the ability to serve more people. They've got special rates for cyclists, of course, and runners and triathletes, but also vegans and other health conscious people now. We've mentioned they have quizzes, and these aren't just for fun. If you score elite on a quiz for a specific lifestyle, that can earn you a further discount on your life insurance. They've also replaced BMI with waist to hip ratio, which is a far better predictor of cardiovascular disease when it comes to athletes. Additionally, they replaced the LDL to HDL ratio with triglyceride to HDL ratio for people on low carb or paleo diets because that's a better predictor of cholesterol health. Amazingly, they will not take into account one incidence in a family history if you are otherwise healthy. It's like a get out of jail card. In other words, if one person in your family has had cancer or diabetes, they won't ding you for it. Finally, they can also get better rates for those with runner's heart or hypertension. Check them out at healthiq.com slash paceline. Welcome back to The Pace Line. Michael Houghton and Patrick Brady here. A few shows ago in A Pace Line Pick, I introduced you to Chris Kelly, owner of Topanga Outpost. In the yellow pages, when we had those, you'd find him under bicycle shops. But bicycles are just part of what Kelly does. Oh sure, you need a tire or a tube or a chain or some lube, he's got that. But what Kelly is really trying to deliver is something unique, something you can't find online or on someone else's shelves. And he offers this one-of-a-kind approach, both through hard goods and experiences. Here's Chris Kelly. I'm the adventurer at the shop. That's actually my title. Is it? Yeah, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I own the shop, but I, uh, I call myself the adventurer. 
And currently it's called Topanga Creek Outpost. Yeah, that's right. We were, uh, we've changed names a couple times. We were in Hollywood. We were Hollywood Pro Bicycles. We moved to Topanga, Topanga Creek Bicycles. But then uh, a couple of years ago, as I realized, uh, there would be more avenues and more uh, products we could sell if uh, we changed it to Topanga Creek Outpost. And because we do a lot of adventure stuff, it made more sense to be Topanga Creek Outpost. Mm-hmm. It's more of an outpost than it is necessarily just a bike shop. Well, as I've told the Paceline listeners, uh, my first trip in here was, I, I can't remember how long ago, but I remember what happened is I did not have a tube. I'd gotten a flat earlier. I did not have a tube. Mm-hmm. And I was descending Topanga Canyon here, which is a pretty major street in LA. It's a yep. canyon street. But, and I pulled into the shop and I came in here and Ryan was working here at the mm-hmm. time. And, and Ryan somehow found a road tube for me. It was a little hard sure. because this is mostly a mountain bike shop, off-road shop, but he found a a tube for me and invited me on the shop ride and I returned and showed up and I've enjoyed coming here periodically over over a long time. Oh, I'm so great. Uh, That's great to hear. Well, tell me about this. The Saturday shop ride is a tradition here. It is something. Oh. How does it serve you and how does it serve the folks, the local riding public? Well, everybody here is a bike rider and we're about to, and we're about having fun. So really the shop ride is as much us just riding our bikes on Saturday mornings with everybody as anything else. That's really what it's all about. And uh, it's a great way for everybody to to enjoy the hills in Topanga and learn new rot, learn new trails. It's a great way to learn, you know, just new things that you haven't seen. Mm-hmm. As far as serving us, uh, yeah, it keeps the community together, keeps everybody kind of on the same page with like friendship and just enjoying biking together. And um, yeah, and then we sell stuff afterwards. You sure. know, people buy things. Yeah. So we get a lot. We get a lot of people from out of town who rent bikes from us to do the shop ride. So at actually, the rental aspect keeps us uh, pretty active too. We make some money actually renting bikes, which is pretty great. So let's rewind a, a bit more than that. Let's go back to your beginnings. How did you get into cycling, and then eventually, how did you get into being a uh, into the bike shop business? Well, I couldn't afford a car, so I rode my bike around Los Angeles everywhere. That's really how I got into cycling. I know, it's like, uh, I just moved to LA with like no money and just moved to LA and actually did a little acting stuff. So I I didn't have a car is actually how I got into cycling. And then I needed a job and I went into iMartin Imports on Beverly Boulevard and I rode my bike to the interview. And I was uh, doing a lot of riding, and they basically hired me because I was a bike rider. And then, uh, then I kept on showing people routes within L.A. to find fun things to see. And a friend of mine and I decided to open our own business, which was a bike touring company in Hollywood. That's actually how we got started. So we did a so we did so we did a bike touring company where we take people on trips in L.A. to see sites. And then we opened a little shop. Come to find out, Hollywood didn't have a bike shop, so we became the local bike shop in Hollywood, which really took over the business. And uh, we stopped doing the bike tours, and we just started uh, selling bikes and being like the full bike shop. Hollywood still doesn't have a bike shop, so if anybody's listening to this and you want to open a bike shop somewhere in the world, the heart of Hollywood will need another bike shop at some point. Go open one. Uh, The actual heart of Hollywood. You think of it as everything else but but a a commuting or a bike area, but it has a core of people that are craving somebody on the boulevard again. But uh, in 2008, we moved to Topanga Canyon for quality of life. 
Like where we're sitting right now doing the interview, the doors open, my dog's sitting here. There's trees and birds and the outdoors. So we moved to Topanga to really quality of life to like have the day be better than being on Hollywood Boulevard. And it's just on the worst of days, I sit in an Adirondack chair and one of the rocking chairs or the sofa at the couch at the shop and uh, relax. This is not so much a shop, but a house. I mean, it is a house, right? Yeah, so it's been around since the 1950s, and it's been a little bit of everything. There's a production company in here. There was, like, some bands jamming in here. People say the Eagles and the Doors jammed in here. Our neighbor was Mama Cass from the Mamas and Papas next door. Yeah. And uh, one of the guys from Canned Heat lived next door. So uh, this building has been a little bit of everything in time. And now, and then people lived in it, and so it's got a kitchen, which is nice. So, uh we take full advantage of the place and uh, quality of life we won. It is, a, it is a fabulous spot. I mean, it reminds me, it really does, it's, it really takes me away every time I come here. I know it sounds trite and weird, but it does. I mean, I come up here and I feel like I've escaped, I've escaped LA and I could see why you moved up here. Um, now, when you kind of evolved into becoming more adventure, a little less. When I first came in, you were a mountain bike shop. It was right. pretty obvious. But over time, I've seen more adventure-type products. Right. And this very interesting weekly event called Unpredict Your Wednesday. What is, what's that about? Right. So, um, yeah, again, on the, on the uh, level of uh, quality of life and enjoying things, Basically, we take off on Wednesdays and we go find an adventure somewhere. We'll go to, we've been to Catalina Island. We've been, this week we went to the Fire Lookout Tower in the Sequoia. A couple of weeks we're going back to Big Bear. We've taken the, a train up the coast and ridden back on Wednesdays. We basically will do and go have fun anywhere. And I, I tell you, it's like, it makes a huge difference to have in the middle of the week, like the heart of a vacation. Bang, we're out in the woods just camping and it is the best thing to do and i encourage everybody whether you're anywhere near us or not go unpredict your wednesday go take a wednesday off and just go into the forest and camp out you will be amazed how extraordinary the reboot and the refresh can be we do it every week join us sometime but more than that do it on your own go unpredict your wednesday anywhere Somehow. Go for it. Most business owners would say, you close on Wednesday. What the hell are you doing closing your business on Wednesday? But you close the shop on Wednesday and do this, right? Right. Yeah. Um, again, quality of life. You know, I'll keep on going back to that. But like, you know, bike shop owners, we don't make any money. You know, this is across the board, except a couple of these creepy corporate places. But most of us are about this because we love it. And I, and I do, too. So I'm not I'm clearly not driven by money. So uh, why wouldn't I close on Wednesday to go enjoy life? Well, let's talk about the, the economy of, of bike shops. Um, I know that you have had to make some adjustments over time with the products you carry, with your focus. What are some other things? What are some other things you've seen happen over the last uh, 10 years that have caused you to make some changes in here? Well, I don't think it's any uh, surprise to anybody that retail has changed. The internet has basically gobbled up anything that is ubiquitous or anything that is, uh, you know, all over the place. Like stuff on Amazon is easy to buy. And it's become easy to buy it uh, online. So recognizing that, we shifted our inventory to stuff that wasn't easy to find anywhere. So we basically slowly got rid of all of the stuff that that you might, you know, click and buy. And we filled it up with 
our own branded things, all kinds of unique stuff, one-of-a-kind things, like clothing, gear, accessories that are your one-time purchase. You come here, you find a pair of socks, you will probably never see that sock again. We, uh, so you're probably gonna ask me about Rogue Journeyman. We started our own leather goods brand where we make one-of-a-kind items that uh, are literally only available here and literally one-of-a-kind. And it's, uh, all that stuff has been a success. Yeah, so let's, Rogue Journeyman, in addition to running a bike shop here, and you've got everything you would need if you're a new adventure biking, mountain biking. Uh, there's full service here. There's uh, plenty of inventory to choose from. But you're also running this entire leather operation here. What's the idea there? How did that come to you? And how do you fold that into a bike shop? I was actually in, uh, in Europe at Eurobike. And I was talking to the, um, the owners of Brooks Saddles because we're Brooks, Brooks's, we were one of Brooks's biggest dealers at the time. And, uh, and I was saying we need something unique for us. And they said that they couldn't really come up with an item that would be unique for a Topanga Creek Outpost. But uh, they suggested maybe I stamp people's initials on Brook Saddles. And it got me thinking, oh, that's a good idea. I could do that and like discern. So I went to the local leather store and uh, got, some, uh, got some things to brand saddles. But I got a little extra leather, made some keychains. It was around Christmas time. I made some uh, leather valet trays. I made some more things and they just kept on selling and selling and selling and selling something unique something couldn't get anywhere something separate and it's evolved beyond my wildest expectations and uh i keep on making it and now i'm i'm in bike shops in fact all, all over the country um bicycle nomad cafe on phoenix uh downtown at the wheelhouse peddler's fork carries rogue journeyman I just give some stuff to Kyle at Golden Saddle. It's it's all over the place now. Where'd that name come from? Rogue Journeyman? Right, uh, just in my mind, like to come up with a name. I just made it up. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like, like you said, you do your share of riding and you think that's part of quality of life. Totally agree with that. And you've done some pretty impressive rides recently yourself. I know you tried to ride Route 66, which came up a little short, but there was also a tour of Baja that went down recently right yeah route 66 I'm not like really road guy so that ended because I wasn't loving the safety element and then uh yeah the Baja divide is absolutely amazing again if anybody's listening to this just go do what Lael and Nicholas did was amazing so uh yeah go do go do the Baja divide it's phenomenal what I started in San Diego and it's like off-road riding to also celebrate life and just adventure it starts in wherever you wanted to, Tecate, or just go along anywhere on the route and uh, camp in the middle of nowhere and love Baja. It's an amazing place. How many days were you out there? Uh, about two weeks. Really? Absolutely loving life. Self-supported? Yeah, self-supported. And uh, the purpose of it was to have fun, and I did. Yeah, I camped along the ocean. I camped in the mountains. I camped in the middle of nowhere. It was amazing. Well, sounds like you're putting fun first and still having fun here and enjoying life and yeah i'm trying to we hope to see you yeah. around for a lot longer thanks i appreciate that again that was chris kelly adventurer and owner of topanga outpost in topanga canyon again that's uh, in the los angeles area so if you happen to be visiting and you want to go for a mountain bike ride i'd encourage you to go up to topanga canyon just look up topanga outpost they do saturday rides he has rental bikes like he said that's a big part of his operation They'll take you on a two-hour ride. Uh, they go out. They come back to the shop. Everyone joins in, helps to open the shop. 
they serve uh, warm, and I mean warm banana bread. It's right out of the oven. And some good coffee, too. He has his own blend coming out of 10-speed coffee. So Topanga Outpost in Topanga Canyon in the L.A. area. Uh, Chris Kelly, a true survivor in the bike business, Patrick. And uh, look, we're, we're having to see a lot of our friends in the bike business, especially on the local bike shop level, find new ways to stay relevant, to keep going, because there's all kinds of new things popping up, whether it be online competition. And now we're seeing the mobile bike shop um, model become a big deal. And you recently went down to visit one of those operations, Beeline Bikes. They're headquartered in the, the South Bay area, right? Yeah. Yeah. San Marcos, which is near Redwood City. Uh, I'm not sure that many of our listeners would know exactly where San Marcos is. But yeah, getting down in the South Bay of the greater Bay Area. Yeah. You know, it's funny how omnichannel is the big buzzword in the bike industry right now. Bike companies have to be prepared to sell online and figure out a great way to deliver bikes online. And, you know, I've been curious to learn more about how that's going to be implemented and who they're working with. So I went down to see the folks at Beeline Bikes. You know, I've been wanting to learn more about their business model and also how it's evolved since it was first launched. The big change, of course, is that they're not just going to be about service anymore. They're now facilitating sales uh, of bikes in conjunction with companies like Raleigh, Diamondback, iZip, which are e-bikes, and then competitive cyclist in backcountry, you know, that online juggernaut in Salt Lake City. So for people who want to purchase a bike online but don't have the wherewithal to assemble and fit the bike, you can arrange for Beeline to assemble and deliver it. One of the really cool developments in their business model has been for operators to set up weekly appointments with large employers and then drop by to service bikes in the company's parking lot. They show up the same time every week, you know, and people bring out bikes for tune-ups and whatnot, just like how so many companies have a car wash operation that comes by each week. You know, some years ago when I was working for uh, a large organization, service like that would have been a huge hit. We had an incredible number of cyclists. And, you know, lunchtime, you know, they wanted to be riding the bikes. Uh, there were group rides going out, but you know, having something like that to service the bike afterward or the morning beforehand, you know, would have been really useful. One of the other distinctions of Beeline or, or one of the distinctions they're trying to draw is that they're aiming squarely for the middle of the market. So, you know, they're happy to service your high-end Colnago, but in talking with uh, Pete Small, the company's CEO, COO, it sounds like they're even happier to go after, you know, the family that has four bikes from the big box retailer. They really have a strong desire to see that, you know, people are out and riding. More people are out and riding. So they want to make sure that, you know, previously neg neglected bikes are safe and ready for people to get out and enjoy the summer. Mm -hmm. So, you know, definitely a different take on this. And I've also, uh, you know, been informed that, one of the other things they're doing is partnering with uh, retailers in areas. Uh, so like Summit Cycles, you know, in the South Bay, they've got a number of locations. They have co-branded a truck along with uh, Beeline. And so they have the ability to send people, uh, send, you know, service out to people. Um, I don't know if it's doing any 
pickups and drop-offs or that sort of thing. But it's uh, another service that uh, Summit is able to provide their clientele. Right, so you're saying Summit, instead of viewing Beeline or Velofix or any of these operations as competition, they've embraced it and said, why don't we fold these guys in and take advantage of their mobility, yet put our name in conjunction with the Beeline name on the side of the truck? Bingo. Yeah, it's pretty genius because that way they don't have to dream up, you know, exactly how to outfit the thing, mm-hmm. you know, how to get it built out. Um, you Staff know, it, what, take the calls, yeah. they don't have to do any of that. Um, I, they may be doing the staffing themselves. I've never sure. really asked about that part. But, you know, one of the interesting things is that there is a kind of uh, two-bay faux shop operation inside a beeline so that techs can come in and get trained on, you know, what it is to operate as a one-man bike shop. Because you can't just be a good wrench and do this. You've got to understand how to sell the service, you know, uh, how to sell the aftermarket parts that they will actually spring for, the new tires, the new chain, that sort of thing. And also, you know, really how to be a great service person. You know, again, taking care of the customer as opposed to just fixing the bike. Mm. I mean, I've worked at a bunch of shops over the years where there was one completely ace tech in back who could turn a turn around a repair in a half an hour, you know, an elaborate job, but you absolutely did not want them talking to the customer. <laughs> yeah, and, and the automotive industry can say the same thing as can uh, motorcycle shops. I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. We get that. Um, so that's why it's important with, for Beeline or Velofix or any of them to make sure they pay, they have people with the bright, shiny faces uh, operating the, the, the vehicles, driving them and wrenching for them, too. Yeah, it's it's uh, more you, you have to have a businessman's mentality as well as the mechanical aptitude to, to operate one of these things. But it's part of the, the changing landscape of the the bike and bike shop business. So happy you yeah. had a visit down there. It's, we're going to jump to our news and notes now. And uh, Patrick, that means you're up again here because <laughs> Shimano is keeping up the, uh, you know, the ongoing evolution of their road group. We saw 9100 come out. Everyone was excited about that. Now what do we have? The new Altegra 8000. So this is the update uh, to what has been a really fantastic Altegra group. But, you know, what you see here is what typically happens. You get some trickle down from uh, the Dura-Ace group. And then you also see usually a, a few little enhancements, uh, a few little features added. So like this one, uh, as is often the case, you have the opportunity to get an even bigger rear cassette onto the bike. Dura-Ace went from 28 to a 30 large cog. Well, now uh, with the new shadow design rear derailleur, uh, Shimano is able to do, and it's kind of a mid ca- uh, mid-length cage, mm-hmm. Shimano's offering for Ultegra an 1134 cassette. Yes. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, pretty yes. dynamite. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then, you know, among their options for cranks they've got a whole bunch of different uh assortments there's the standard 5339 just like you'd expect to see there's also uh, a compact 5034 there's mid compact 
5236, but there's also a cyclocross uh, version of 4636. And, you know, in looking at the opportunities there, you know, the cross combination of 4636 when paired with that 1134 cassette could be really dynamite. And one of the things that I've missed for ages is that 10 tooth jump from, you know, small ring to big ring, because it was always a really nice jump. You didn't have to downshift any in the rear, or at least for a guy like me, I didn't have to downshift any in the rear. Mm -hmm. So that's a, that's a pretty great jump. And a 36, 34 low gear is awfully nice. You know, that would get me through most of my life, I think. And so I'm, I'm kind of interested to give that a, a shot. So uh, we're talking forearm 110 bolt pattern throughout then, right? Yes. For the for, it's it's one crank set and many ring, many ring combos you can get with it. Right. Like and gone also, gone are the days of that 130 stuff. That's 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 we won't see that again, I would imagine. No. Uh-huh. No. No. Uh, but as as with others, you know, you've got uh you know, in the previous Altegra groups you still have Lengths of 165, 170, 172 and a half, and 175 available. Good. That, yeah. that helps all the leg lengths that we have out there and all the the different uh, abilities to bend over and, and get in an arrow position, which we like. Now, how about the range here? If, I, if I'm a hydro uh, disc guy, mechan- I want hydro disc mechanical, can I do that? If I want DI2, where does, where does all this uh, get shaken out? Yeah, this is going to be an inventorying nightmare for shops because, <laughs> uh, be, you know, just like Dura-Ace, it comes in four varieties. So you can do the traditional mechanical group with, you know, rim calipers, mm-hmm. okay? That's still available, all the cables, all the time. But there's also mechanical with hydraulic disc brakes. Okay. There's also uh, DI2 with caliper brakes. Uh, rim calipers and then finally there's the di2 with hydraulic discs available so four flavors of altegra mm-hmm. it looks like the full mechanical group with uh you know uh cable der- rear derailleur cable derailleurs and rim calipers i think that group based on you know my rough addition will go for a little less than a thousand dollars and for for the amount of performance and you know gearing options and whatnot that sounds like it's probably going to once again be one of the best values on the market mm-hmm. yeah uh the new durace came with synchro shifting any word on that for altegra yeah they've got both synchro and semi-synchro shift programming opportunities Mm. so don't know how that'll work just yet i haven't gotten into playing with it on my dura ace um you know i I, it was all i could do just to be ready to ride the bike at dirty kanza one of the interesting things i learned in riding the dura ace uh this past weekend was that when you're in the small ring the rear derailleur will not shift into the smallest two cogs because you might get chain rub on the big chain ring? I wonder why they did that. Because um, of chain line might, issues, maybe? I haven't had a chance to talk with them about it, but my... Well, guess. I, Go ahead. You, you've been around the block enough. What do you think? Yeah. So I think chain line may be some of an issue, a slight issue. The bigger thing, I think, is that it's a, a chain length issue. In that, if you're in small, small, mm-hmm. you need 
Uh, you need so much chain to wrap around big, big with a, a say a 50, uh, 30 that you would get slack chain. Right. Okay. So the thing the, I don't understand is why they didn't just go with bigger pulleys to take that up. Okay. Yeah, they could have found a way probably, but I mean, do you find how often do we find ourselves needing to be in a small, small anymore? I mean, at that point you, sh you shift up, you put it in the big derailleur and you go, you're more likely to be full cross. I think than small, small. Yeah. Yeah. No, I completely agree. Yeah. I couldn't tell you the last time I did small, small. Uh, that's just not how I ride. <laughs> and if I find myself big, big, it's because I wasn't paying attention and I made a mistake. Yep. Well, good things as always from Shimano. Uh, hats off to them. And uh, the Altegra group has really become a fantastic group. I mean, it used to be like, oh, we got to have dirt race. Got now, uh, I would ride Altegra till. The end of the earth. It's really, really good. In fact, the 105 stuff has been really good too. So they've they've done a great job, and the group set wars continue. Shram is probably busy right now, trying to think. Well, what are we, what are we going to do, boys? How are we going to respond? Yeah. You know, their work's cut out for them. Yeah. You know, for years, Altagra was really a distinct step down from Durace. Mm -hmm. You had different spacing on the cassette. It was bigger spacing, so the shifting was never as quick. Uh, it was never as snappy. And, you know, you didn't have all the uh, adjustability and, you know, some of the other functions that you found in Dura-Ace. And the stuff didn't last as long. It wasn't as long wearing. And now, really, the only difference that I can find between Altegra and Dura-Ace is a weight penalty. So for anyone who wants all the performance of Dura-Ace but wants to save themselves a boatload of money, mm -hmm. Altegra is definitely the, the way to go. And I would think if you are planning to ride off-road and beat the hell out of it, uh, go ahead, save the bucks, maybe take on a few extra grams and just have a little more peace of mind because the Altegra, is, it's going to do you right, I think. Oh, yeah, because yeah. the cassette is only going to be 80 bucks, you yeah. know? And, and You're going to go yeah, through cassettes off-road and the muck and the dirt and the dirty Kansas stuff, you're going to ruin stuff. Yeah, an $80 cassette and a $40 chain, it's not going to be painful to replace that stuff if you, you know, after six months of riding in grit. Mm -hmm. yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you again, Shimano, for putting out some um, great product. And uh, thanks for that review. Or, or it's not quite a review yet, it's a preview from Patrick, but I know we know what's going to happen here. Patrick's going to end up on a group set and he's going to give us the full, the full nine yards on that thing. Awesome. Well, let's move on to pace line picks. We always like to round out the pace line with our interesting quips and observations. Uh, the picks, there are no rules for the picks, really. I mean, just pick something. Each of us pick something and we talk about it here on the pace line. And it's really grown from being kind of bike-centric to uh, hotties musings at times um, to opinions. Um, some Television shows. Television <laughs> shows. We had the Kiss Bicycle. That was kind of interesting. But um, this is going to be another twist for me, Patrick, my pace line pick this week. Architects. Right. Yes, architects. My pace line uh -huh. pick. Art Vandelay. He's a made up name. Okay, that's a Seinfeld reference. But you know the names. Charles and Ray Eames, Frank Geary, Frank Lloyd Wright. Those are some of the greats of the game here in Los Angeles. Those names have created a series of unique and influential buildings and homes in Southern California. For instance, check out Geary's work on the uh, indoor home of the L.A. Symphony. They call it Disney Concert Hall. That's so SoCal, isn't it? I say indoor home because they also have an outdoor home. It's the Hollywood Bowl. But the indoor home yeah. is the Disney Concert Hall in downtown L.A. Amazing work 
by Frank Gehry there. Like fine art, important architecture is kind of beyond me though. But statement structures have certainly influenced many and inspired some to take up that profession. I met just a person as I exited a popular mountain bike trail recently. I was not riding, but walking my bike off the dirt. About an hour earlier, I had bashed my rear derailleur on a rock and tore the hanger in two. (laughs) I had a spare, but could not dislodge a chunk of the hanger from the derailleur. So I coasted down the rest of the trail and hiked the last uphill section. Out came the phone and I summoned Uber for a ride to my shop. When the driver showed up, he gave me and my dirty bike a look like I had the plague. No way (laughs) was he putting me and my machine in his Toyota Camry. His suggestion, request an Uber SUV. That would be 60 bucks. No thanks. So I went to plan B. I approached two guys who had just finished their ride and asked if they had tools. Maybe I could fix this little problem I had. One said he probably had what I needed, but then he offered something even better, a ride. I did not resist. We loaded his bike and mine and climbed into his 99 Forerunner and headed for Giant Santa Monica. Along the way, we talked about mountain biking, said he'd recently had a concussion and was in the market for a new bike. And then I asked what he did and he responded, architect. He said he'd moved from Boulder, Colorado because he wanted to work on more interesting projects that he was inspired by LA's interesting people and places and structures and the architects who have worked here. He also hoped that one day to have his own firm. That sounded cool to me. At the end of the drive, we unloaded the bikes and I thanked him profusely. But as he drove away, I realized I didn't get his name. It wasn't Eames or Geary or Wright. I'm sure of that. So I guess we'll just call him that guy. So my paceline pick goes to that guy who bailed me out big time. Here's to his dream of making a name for himself on the L.A. landscape. All right, Patrick. Architects. That's my paceline pick. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So my pick goes to the Alpha All Road since it is now uh, out there and known. And you can even go to the Allied Cycle Works site. And they have uh, pictures of the all road up now. You you don't get any specs yet. You know, no geometry info. It's just a bunch of really sexy shots of a very interesting bike. I I don't recall the last time when I was as surprised by a drop bar bike as I was this. It really blew me away. Just the ride was so much livelier than I I really anticipated. Um, And it was one of those things that, you know, as I was staying at the goo house and people would drop by and there was kind of a constant stream of people in and out. Uh, We, we also had uh, Heidi Rents and Xander Alt there from the cyclists menu uh, preparing food. And uh, so, you know, people were going out and checking out the bike and people pick it up and their jaw would drop. I haven't had a chance to weigh it yet, but it's a light, light bike. For something that's got tires that big and hydraulic disc brakes, it's pretty impressive. And, you know, for people who are thinking, you know, gosh, I'd really like uh, a super nice carbon fiber bike and I'd like something more versatile, this is a bike to check out because I think it's a real opportunity to have one bike that in terms of you know drop bar usage does it all 
you could have a second set of wheels for this bike and you'd never ever think, oh, I'm on a cyclocross bike with skinny tires. This bike feels like a proper road bike. Mm-hmm. You know, it's got that stability and still has the maneuverability. So uh, people should go there and check it out. And mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I'm not sure what this was going to retail for, but certainly the Alpha is three grand for a frame set with their fork. And I, I can't imagine that this will go for a lot more. And you can uh, see photos of that bike on Red Kite Prayer, right? I mean, how are the posts coming? We got more posts on Dirty Kansas coming up, or what's what's yeah, working yeah. off the keyboard right now? <laughs> yeah, I, I have at least one more post on Dirty Kanza. Uh, then sometime in the next, uh, hopefully, few weeks, I'll have my review of the Alpha All Road up. Um, and uh, also talking about the the trip to Bentonville. I haven't had a chance to write about that yet. So I've got a little bit of a backlog to get to. Yep. But there are, I think, three posts already up on uh, my trip to Emporia. I, yeah, I just could not have been more impressed with how things went there. Yep. Those you, people you and really I have talked, yeah, you and I have talked about writing about uh, things like equipment and bikes and then about experiences and how much of a joy it is to write about life in motion and bikes in motion. And that's when the words really come. It's like you could almost put out stuff endlessly on an experience like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this one feels a little bit like a a cubist painting in that I'm getting it from so many different directions. You know, what the finish was like, what the town's atmosphere was, you know, what it was like to be out there. There are just yeah, so many different ways to talk about this thing because it really was that rich and varied. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas I go to your average Fondo and it's the Fondo. You write about what the ride was, you know, maybe there was an expo afterwards and that was kind of cool. But, you know, it's, it's I don't want to say one dimensional, but it's limited in what its appeal is. And this is a thing where, you know, you bring the whole family and everybody's going to have a good time. The, the people in Emporia could not, possibly have been nicer or more welcoming there were signs everywhere for you know welcome dk welcome dirty Kansas riders welcome you know whatever and you know window boxes in 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 stores were decorated with bicycles there was something for everybody mm-hmm. well a life-changing experience obviously good luck with your recovery we hope that goes well um that is going to do it for another edition of the pace line we encourage you to always download and subscribe to this uh, podcast. You can find it at Stitcher, Google Music, um, TuneIn Radio, and, of course, the great iTunes. And uh, for more information on the podcast, uh, also to listen to it, to stream it, to check out pictures and other uh, links and copy, go to redkiteprayer.com because we have our own little section there. It's the sound section of RKP. Okay, that'll do it for the pace line. We hope to get Fatty back soon. For Patrick Brady, I am Michael Houghton. Thanks for listening. Two, one, let's roll it. <laughs>